In this episode of the podcast, we're going to be talking about Lightroom versus Lightroom. This is Twitter. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of This Week in Photo. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson, and sitting next to me virtually is Alistair Jolly. Hey, Alistair, how's it going, man? Hi, Frederick. Great to be back here sitting just right next to you across the pond. But yeah, looking forward to having another conversation today about the wonderful world of photography. Yeah, always, always. You know what? Um, yeah, it's so funny you say that. So the wonderful world of photography, it feels like that world has expanded. Well, I mean, it, it's been expanding. It's It's been wide in terms of multidisciplinary, but like with, with the latest toys that we have to play with in software it feels like maybe a better way to say it is we have more capabilities than we've ever had before in terms of image making or you know just being artistic or whatever so it's fun it's a fun time to be around i never thought i'd see this kind of technology you know with the ai stuff and all that i i never i didn't see that one coming <laughs> did you yeah no, we've definitely got, as you say, more tools and more opportunities, but, you know, sometimes it gets a little bit stifling, you know, when you have too much and like you, you kind of, I, I can assume like starting out today must be quite daunting and, you know, trying to know which direction to go in and which tools to use when there's such a plethora of opportunity. But, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. you know, it's definitely evolving. Yeah. You get, you get, you get to have the wherewithal to get through the analysis paralysis, right? Because mm. yeah, you're right. It's like a photographer who is creating amazing work, but all they have, quote, all they have is, you know, one beat up body and a 50 mil lens, right? And a 10 year old MacBook there that barely runs an old version of Photoshop, yet they're cranking out some ridiculous work. So that, that constraint drives the work, right? But what happens when you have supercomputers and cloud computing and AI and, you know, sky replacement and all the things, right? Does that, does that mean we get less capable artists or does that mean we get more capable artists because they have more powers, you know, as it were? I don't know. Yeah. What do you time, think? Time, time will tell, but, you know, great, great yeah. storytellers are going to be able to tell great stories no matter what tools they have, what quality those tools are they can get their their story told, you know, and in this case, we're talking about telling stories through visual arts, right? But um, yeah. yeah, the the, the great, great photographers are going to be great photographers no matter what era they, yeah. they, they are in with, with, with the technologies. So yeah, the, you know, there's, there's going to be great stuff to come. There's going to be a lot of bad stuff to come, but it's always been the same, no matter whether we were shooting with you know, glass plate or whether we were shooting with 35 millimeter film or whether we're shooting digitally, you know, there's, there's a big bandwidth of, of people out there wanting to, to use it for great stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and the other, the other side of this, you know, this is a, a good segue into the first story that I wanted to chat about today. Um, and that's an, an adventure that you recently went on. And the, the segue is, you know, we have all this capability on the technological side, right? But then when you go back to the nature side, which is arguably the pit, no matter generally how you slice it, looking at the photography market, landscape and outdoor photography is usually the biggest piece of the pie in terms of what 
you know, pros and amateur alike gravitate towards, right? Mm -hmm. So you recently went on an adventure that was kind of in that, the, the line of conservationism and all that. So, but there were some electric cars involved. So what, what was it? Where'd you go? And, and what came of it? Or what yeah. is expected of it? it? It was an adventure done in very comfortable vehicles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and staying, and, and staying in hotels, you know, adventures, maybe not the right, the right word. We went on, uh, I'm just back from what was called the mobilizing for monuments road trip. Um, Mobilizing for Monuments is a campaign that has been created by a whole bunch of, you know, a kind of coalition of brands who are involved in the outdoor world, uh, you know, campaigning for the protection of some of the most incredible parts of uh, the trip we were on was in the US. So um, we decided to go on this road trip and tell the stories of these places through, you know, the visual filmmaking, photography, um, to to showcase just what is uh, what is achievable, what's at risk, uh, you know, what could be lost, what what have we managed to save? So, yeah, ourselves as as Flickr, I uh, went on on a road trip together with our our partners uh, Rivian. So we went in some lovely Rivian vehicles um, together. We we're both members of the Conservation Alliance, and we did it with so the Conservation Alliance, Rivian, and Flickr went on this road trip. Uh, and we went from Denver all the way to uh, Los Angeles via, um, you know, some incredible parts of, you know, America from, you know, a high mountain, high desert down through um, some great canyon lands into um, basically the backyard of, of many Californians. Um, and the purpose of the trip was to showcase the work that the Conservation Alliance is trying to do. We visited... Uh, national monuments that had recently been uh, designated as monuments so they were protected so we went there to tell the story of those places we visited some areas that were already already designated as national monuments but we want to see them expanded to protect more areas and then most importantly we visited areas that we're working on just now to try and get designated as national monuments to protect them for for everybody to enjoy, um, you know, well into the future. So, yeah, an, an incredible trip. We realized that, you know, as, you know, conservationists can tell the story in data, right? They can show all the data. They can write, you know, briefs and papers on just how incredible these parts of the world are. But when you take an image of it and you show that image to people or you create a film, as we have done, and show that film to people, it really resonates way stronger than the written word can do in many cases. So as a photography brand, we wanted to use the power of photography to hopefully change the world for better uh, by getting more national monuments designated in the US. That's that's awesome. That's using you know, the, the, the superpower of photography, you know, to, to push yeah. the world. The, 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 it's selfishly thinking the opportunities for, you know, great photos and preserving what that part of the planet looks like. Right. Yeah. So yeah, obviously, obviously environmental and, and, uh, the, the real picture or the bigger picture is, the, is where the target is, but for photographers looking at it as, okay, this is, this is another place where I can go get some amazing photos on the planet before there are not really that many places left. Yeah, you know, the conservationism from that standpoint absolutely makes sense. So you guys are you did this whole that whole trek 
in Rivian electric mm-hmm. vehicles. I know you're an electric vehicle driver, as am I. How was that trip uh, up there? Just from from a from a okay, I am in the wilderness, and I'm in this this vehicle that was designed for the wilderness, and we're mm-hmm. on this you know this 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 journey. How did it all feel on the road in situ? Yeah, I mean, there's no denying that the Rivian, you know, pickup trucks and the SUVs that we had, we had five of them in total, um, incredible vehicles, incredibly capable vehicles. And, you know, some of the areas where we were out in the true wilderness, just having the confidence that these vehicles could get us anywhere we wanted to go was great. But there, you know, we did, the film does include some of that tension or the road trip includes some of that tension of we were, you know, in a, a very um, off-grid uh, part of the world when it comes to to charging vehicles. Um, yeah. You know, we left we left Denver. It was pretty straightforward, but as we headed down into, um, you know, southern Utah, northern Arizona, through places like Monument Valley, um, there is not a lot of charging <laughs> capable capabilities yeah. there. Feel a little rain. Um, Range anxiety, <laughs> uh, a lot of range anxiety. That yeah, on a daily basis, that was you know one of the factors. We we deliberately did a you know a kind of six seven day road trip, um to you know we didn't want to make it too easy. So you know we did build in this little bit of tension of of can we get from yeah. point A to point B, um with with the the charging opportunities that are there, and then you know of course with having five vehicles, if you find one charger. You have you've created your own bottleneck because you're charging the first vehicles. So there was times we had to split up. There was times we had to find multiple hotels in these small rural parts of you know in the Midwest. So yeah, it was it was an interesting experience from a from a charging perspective. But even that yeah. is you know improving all the time. You know I would I would imagine trying to do it two or three years ago would have been dramatically different from doing it you know, last month. So yeah, great adventure uh, for a great purpose. Uh, hopefully people yeah. will will get to see the film in the new year. And, you know, we'll be showing the film obviously to important people who can who can hopefully designate these places that we want to see designated. Um, but yeah, I, I learned so much on the trip about parts of the US I wasn't familiar with. I'm really well traveled in the US, but yeah, there was definitely some incredible is that we, we that we went through that we want to see saved um a lot of these places are uh, at risk from extraction whatever that extraction might mm-hmm. look like whether it's oil uh, coal uranium mm-hmm. um so you know there's a lot of pressure on these parts of the world these they're also hugely cultural significance to a lot of these places that are at risk as well as them being incredibly beautiful and you know open to public lands that should be open to everybody who wants to use them. Um, and then yeah. as we gradually moved our way towards California, we then, you know, were showcasing other risks. We went to San Gabriel mountains just outside Palm Springs, which, you know, mm-hmm. is highly residential part of the world. You know, it was, it was quite a contrast from moving from the high desert down into, into, uh, into California. Uh, yeah. You know, and I was kind of like, why do why do we have to protect San Gabriel Mountains? It's you know, it's a mountain range. It's you know, surrounded by, you know, people that use it. It's not at risk of extraction. But then you realise that 
you know, 18 million people live within 90 minutes of the San Gabriel Mountains. And it's basically at risk eight, of being... Eight, one, eight, eight, 18, 18 million people 18 live million what people. radius? 90 minutes wow. drive. Yeah. So wow. oh. it's basically the playground for Californians and, you know, in that part of the world. And, uh, you know, it's at risk of basically overuse. You know, it just, it's such a popular location. San Gabriel's mountains receive 4 million more visitors a year than the Grand Canyon. So really, you know, we're, it's a victim of its own success. So many people, so much footfall. Uh, so we want to see the the sort of um, monument designations to these areas to be put in place, not to limit that use case, but to provide resources to manage it so that it can be maintained and, you know, resources can put in for people who want to use it uh, safely and, you know, correctly and that type of stuff. So, yeah, there's a lot. The, yeah. It was interesting to experience all those different use cases of trying to protect these huge epic landscapes to these very popular kind of already used, uh, you know, kind of recreational areas. So yeah, an incredible trip. Yeah. I cannot it's wait important. for people to see it. Yeah. I can't either. You know, I, I can't wait to see it, but I, uh, I gotta tell you this, this, this trip and having you on that trip or having you go on that trip gives me, uh, what, what's the, what was that show? A uh, long way around. Have you seen that series with you and McGregor? You know, so yes. another Scott, right? Yeah. So, so it's, on a it's journey, actually on an electric vehicle. <laughs> it's actually a law that there has to be a Scottish person on these trips. So that's that's why I was there. But um, yeah, you it was you established and, by the Enterprise, right? <laughs> yeah, you and you and did the long way up uh, with with Rivian. Yeah. Um, uh, but what was really interesting was when when you and McGregor and Charlie did long way up on their electric motorcycles. They had two Rivians with them, which I think were prototype number one and two. Like they, they didn't even have dashboards in in those oh, Rivians. Wow. They were using I/O boxes to turn things on and off. So, um, yeah, we we had a bit more comfort and a bit more, um, you know, um, what's the word? Reassurance that our vehicles Plus, were, <laughs> yeah, yeah, reassurance <laughs> that our vehicles were, you know, capable uh, and well tested and. Uh, yeah, and it was it was pretty cool, you know, driving in convoy in these vehicles and getting a lot of attention from people. Um, so yeah, you know, we're very proud um, as you know, Flickr and Smugmugger members of the Conservation Alliance to to work with them to, yeah, create spaces that photographers love to use, and we want to allow photographers to continue to use them and have access to them for the right reasons. Yeah, and and help out how and when we can, right? Yeah. Um, and so the, the goal, yeah. The, yeah, the goal is obviously we created lots of video content. We created, you know, a good bunch of social content. If you haven't seen the road trip, you can head over to Flickr's Instagram account and you'll see there's a little highlight from all the Instagram stories and reels that we created while we were on the road. Um, but obviously we captured a whole bunch of content to, to put into the film, which, uh, as I say, will be a film that will be used to you know, um, try and um, convince people to to designate these places as as monuments, um, but also it'll be great great content for people to see, and hopefully open their eyes just to to some areas that, although uh, close to many other popular locations in the U.S., maybe aren't as well known or as well um, experienced as you know the the Grand Canyons and the Horseshoe Bends of this world, which we all know. 
but you know there's other places out there marble canyon being one of them which was just absolutely incredible wow what a what a trip what a what an opportunity that's yeah that's amazing yeah so really and good. that comes out when is the when is the filming premiere as it were uh we don't have a don't have a premiere date yet we're obviously heavy in the 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 edit world uh going through many 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 hours of footage from multiple cameras and um yeah. you know so we're still we're still Fun in the part. edit stage but we, yeah we're looking to try and get that out very early in the new year um and you know the the, the quicker we can get the film out the quicker we can hopefully create some some action on these areas um so yeah hopefully hopefully it's yeah. start of the year january february somewhere Very good. i don't have a don't have a don't have a date yet just teasing it watch teasing this it space out there. watch yes. yeah we'll put it out on twip and oh for sure know, everywhere so yeah they'll they'll see it yeah and i think well, once cool. we're once we're ready to launch it we'll we'll probably bring in some other uh, people maybe onto the, the show that can chat with you and I, Frederick. We had uh incredible photographer with us, uh, Milo Fowler. Uh, you can find him on Instagram at, at Navajo Milo, um, right in his, right in his home backyard. Uh, so to have him on the trip with us, with his own Rivian vehicle as well, uh, was really mm -hmm. cool. Incredible photographer, great friend. Um, so great to have him along the trip. So yeah, we'll hopefully get some of these people on the show to chat about yeah. their photography and Absolutely, their experience. Yeah. We should do like a, we'll do a, a panel round table type thing and debrief yeah. on it with visuals and bring in some uh, video and roll that and all that. Like, ho hopefully there's some bloopers that, uh, that Anton can pull out. <laughs> oh, there's, there's the, yeah, there's definitely lots of bloopers, you know, the odd uh, crash drone or whatever. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Nice cliffhanger. Like it. Nice. <laughs> All right, let's switch gears and uh, talk about uh, today's or this week's topic du jour, um, uh, for me at least, and I think a lot of other people, and it's Lightroom, revisiting the case of Lightroom v. Lightroom, right? Yes. And when I, say, when I say Lightroom v. Lightroom, for those in the know, I mean Lightroom Classic versus Lightroom was mobile, now is just Lightroom. So there's Lightroom Classic, which is the one that we've all grown up with, and then now just Lightroom, which is their... The uh, more, and that's the problem, right? Trying to describe, <laughs> trying to describe it. Was wasn't there a CC in there as well there, at some point? Yeah, there was. <laughs> right, I think it's in those two now. But trying to describe that one versus the other ones, people who may or may not care. You know, it's like one is one is newer and does different things as a different, more consumers audience, and one is supposedly more pro but still has a foot in legacy versus the other one having a backwards foot in pro with a uh, forefoot into the future so i don't know it's that's, complicated that's what i'm talking about I, it's complicated it is but... like how do you, how do you make that decision like as a photographer like blank slate photographer you're coming in you know you know what you're doing and you know you're you're digital now and you have to make a choice of your digital asset management and raw post-processing software what what are your like what if you were in that situation you had to advise someone how would you help them they know there's no one right answer but how would you point them in the right direction yeah it's and, and that, that's one of the the things when you see coming in with a blank slate like very few of us are you know in our yeah. world but there's obviously that whole trench of you know people who are coming fresh to fresh to the world of of lightroom um, you know, clearly there's the major distinction 
is Lightroom Classic is desktop based only with uh, localized storage. Lightroom is predominantly cloud based, although now with local storage too. Um, now it's got local storage, right? Yeah, right. So, but predominantly it was a cloud based solution allowing you to, to have your images stored in the cloud so that you could work on them on any of your devices, including desktop. So you could use the desktop mm -hmm. Lightroom app. Um, yeah. Phone, laptop, laptop, iPad, tablet, yeah. desktop, all yeah. that stuff. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Tablet. So that was, that was the, the main differential, uh, was where your images were being stored and where you were editing them. Lightroom classic is desktop only local storage, but the platform is more powerful, has more features. Um, but there's definitely, I mean, I think we've all known for a long time, like surely the two of them are just going to become one product at some point. And I think yeah. now with, yeah. now with Lightroom adding, and that was a big ad this year, adding local storage this year was, that was a, you know, a fairly big step towards, I think the two of them merging together. So now not only can you have all your images in the cloud and edit them on any device with Lightroom, but you can use a local storage device. So you can use your hard drive, your your RAID system, whatever you might have. But in some ways it also complicated it, <laughs> complicated the story a bit more, right? It didn't have this yeah. clear mm -hmm. distinction now. So I, I, yeah. I still get, I still have a hard time knowing which one to recommend. Um, yeah. because and, and, you know, and, they do and different when you, things. It, it, it breaks down even further than that. So which one do you recommend? Even, even if you decide on Adobe, right? Okay. Yep. You know, versus, versus any of the other players out there, Capture One and, you know, uh, Luminar, you know, whatever, whatever your, your flavor is. Um, but then there's the other side of it, right? There's the, your consumer life. So you've got, if you say, okay, yeah, whatever I'm going I'm going, I'm going to future-proof myself and I'm going with Lightroom, the new one, right? Now that it has local storage. Yeah, there are some shortcomings, but I'm going to go in that direction and all my pro work is going to be on all my devices. Everybody's happy and I'm going to, you know, make my galleries and smug mug and, you know, people can buy my stuff, et cetera. So you got all that piece of it set up. What about your personal life? So does, do you standardize on that tool for your entire photographic world or do you use assuming you're on the iphone do you use apple photos you know and that whole cloud ecosystem for sharing kids first steps and you know zip lining and all that stuff so how, how do you break i know there's no one no one right answer how do you break it down do you have all your all your stuff in one basket or do you split it up yeah, well, of course I have all my images in one place. And I think you know what I'm going to say where they are, right? They're all on SmugMug. But I know where they are. I yeah, know, right? Yeah. Including family stuff because all my family have access to it. And there is yeah. one, as a SmugMug aficionado, there is one killer feature about Lightroom Classic, and that is the plugin that we have capable with Lightroom Classic. You can do all the things in your SmugMug account through the publish feature that you can do you know, directly on SmugMug. With Lightroom in the cloud, it's not, you know, we don't have that fully featured plugin. We, the capabilities aren't there within uh, Lightroom. So we have a connector where you can upload your images, but it's not as, as fully fully uh, featured as the, the classic one. The, if, 
if I was going to, if someone wanted a recommendation on which of those two Adobe products to choose and they were new to the world, I would, I would tell them to go Lightroom. Clearly, Adobe is pushing Lightroom as, you know, the, the place where they're going to develop those features long term. It's going to catch up with the technologies that, um, you know, are within Lightroom Classic. You, you can already do way more in Lightroom than you used to be able to do when they first launched it. And you can pretty yeah. much do most stuff that you want to do. The one caveat, though, is how much are you willing to pay for storage? Mm -hmm. Because if you're editing everything in the cloud and everything's going in the cloud, those those tiers, those storage tiers at Adobe, you know, they're, they soon add up. You know, they, they soon become, uh, you know, something that you really have to put some thought into as to storing your stuff locally and just having a, you know, a kind of backup here. But um, yeah. Well, if, yeah. if you do that, because with Lightroom, you can, you can specify which directories are going to go and be in the cloud and which ones will remain local. And then presumably, I don't know if you're going to say this, but for whatever is local, you can have another backup solution for, for like your, your library in its entirety as kind of a cold storage or warm storage. And, you know, then use just whatever's, you know, whatever projects you're working on right now you can designate that directory tree to be synced up to the cloud so that you have instant access and ubiquity across devices. Is that, is that the, is that the ideal flow though? Or do you just give Adobe or, or whomever, you know, enough money to cover the size of your storage needs and be done with it? Yeah. What do you, what do you think? You know, photography is, I always said many, many times, photography is all about compromise. There's always a compromise to be made. And, and I think even no matter which of those two versions of Lightroom you choose, you're going to have to compromise something, um, yeah. whether it's yeah. money or access, you know, if, if you, if you use, if you use, you know, Lightroom and you store your stuff locally, then you have to compromise on the fact that it's not available on all your devices, which is one of the killer, killer features. Um, even if. Even just now, when you have an attached storage item, if you have an, a hard drive attached to your Lightroom account, and you then send that image to the cloud side of your Lightroom account, it stores a, a, a version of it. It's not storing that actual file. So the two of them have to be kept in sync. So yeah, there's it. There, it's gradually moving in the right direction, but it's still, you know, still, yeah. even for those of us who have been in, the Adobe world and the Lightroom world for many, many, many years, it's still complicated, right? I still have to wrap my head around what does it mean by having Lightroom in the cloud, but also having attached storage. It just adds that little level of complication, which, um, you know, I, I, Lightroom was supposed to remove, right? Everything's in the cloud and right. everything's on every device. Yeah. Suddenly and people... now, it, now it kind of, it fragments again, and now you mm -hmm. have to make decisions over what's here and what's there. And if you don't somehow automate that, then you're the human single point of failure in there, right? <laughs> and you, you would be the one that, that gets you bitten when you have a file that is somewhere with not where it needs to be at that point in time when you need it. So, yeah. so what, then what's the solution to that? So I, I don't know. What is the solution? Is there... Is there like a given infinite resources, let's say, and you can afford your Tony Stark and you're going to build your, your backup, you know, for your photography, what would that look like? 
you know, would it would it be a rack system that's then back it or backed up to Amazon, you know, and maybe for redundancy, Google as well. And then you just have a portal into that. Like, what is what's the holy grail for storage? You know, I feel like we're for the last decade plus two decades or whatever, we've been patching it, right? Like, okay, if we do this, we can get over there. If we, you know, we back this up to Dropbox and put this over there, then I can kind of get there. Or maybe I'll use, you know, this new cloud tool to sync everything and put it all together. Like there, there, it, there doesn't seem to be the, the Ferrari of solutions that, okay, just get it done and make it work perfectly if it does all these things. How can we don't have that? Yeah, what, no, what, this is 2023. Build it, Alistair, build it. We should have, we <laughs> meant to have flying cars by now. Why do we not have, why do oh, we no, not have that? No. And listen, even no. even if there was that perfect solution, the one place to rule them all for storage, Yeah. I yeah. would never, I would never recommend anybody only has one version, one copy of their image in that perfect solution. For years, you know, I've been no, advocating. No, no, not even, you need a not solution. even as a, not even as a thing, like a company or whatever. I'm talking about a a solution which could be a you know a group of of disparate solutions, but like a workflow. Putting these yeah. four things, yeah, putting these four things together is the standard, right? It's expensive or not, but this is the way that you should, you know, be operating your photographic personal life and your photographic professional life. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Now let's move on. We've solved that. Now let's move on to some other stuff. Like, I, yeah. how come we can't solve that piece? It, it seems we so don't have all. We don't have all the pieces of the puzzle. And I, you know, at the moment, we're we're we have to make those compromises. Like even myself, yeah. I, I've said it many times before. Um, you know, I'm a Capture One user now. I was Lightroom for many, 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 many years, and I went through the the pain point of having to transition to a new platform. Um, so I will, any any work stuff or something I think is, you know, of value or uh, something I want to promote or sell, whatever it be, that that's all edited in Capture One. Um, yeah. You know, family stuff goes through a slightly different process where I'll probably ingest it into Capture One and use their, their raw um, converter to make it a JPEG. Um, I'm currently running it through Radiant for, you know, my, usually like my family stuff, I'll run it through Radiant to get it to 99% of as good as it could be and then share it with the yeah. family through, through SmugMug. So, um, but all in all that workflow, there's, there's a compromise. Like when I find an image that's a family image, but it's a really great image and I want to edit it really well, I have to take it out of that workflow and put it back into the other workflow and. You know, and then if my yeah. workflow at the moment is desk based, you know, it's desktop based. I don't have that editing in the cloud that Lightroom gives you. So that piece of the puzzle for yeah. me is missing. Although yeah. we're getting it's we're getting with Capture I, One Mobile, but yeah. 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 I think I think a lot of this stuff feels like including not just the not just photography, but also uh, like the podcasting stuff. Like we're experimenting with some different tools right now as we record mm. this show. That is a cloud based tool that enables us to do a lot of things that we can't do with traditional desktop tools. I it feels like as as bandwidth increases and becomes more ubiquitous, and you know faster and smarter chips that are making better decisions and all that, I feel like we're moving 
like a lot of this, where to, where should I store stuff and backing this up? I feel like that's maybe covered wagon type territory compared to where things will be when we have ubiquitous high speed, uh, inner, you know, internet access through wireless everywhere all the time. So now everything is storage, right? It's just, it's just automatically in the cloud and you're shooting and it's in the cloud and it's, it's not local for the most part anywhere. It's dangerous, obviously, to, you know, it's very single port of point of failure thinking when you're, you're like that, but I can't help but feel like where we are now, like it feels like Drobo's, you know, you, we know how Drobo's went away, right? It feels like we're in that era of where we, where we should be, i.e. far behind, you know, versus where we should be right now or in the near future in terms of some sort of ubiquity of storage that you just, you have, and a bit, it becomes available to you all the time on all devices, you know, versus whether it's your car on the screen in there or your watch or your phone, or your tablet or glasses or whatever, it's just your data and it's in the cloud and you don't have to worry about it going anywhere, let alone mm. which raid system should I buy or, you know, or which, where should I back this all up to? And that there's cloud one, There's system, one hurdle there though. You know? There's one hurdle. Yeah. With the hurdle yeah, is money. Like, yeah. Who's going to pay for it? Like who, if we have this, this cloud that just everything goes into as a, you know, working for a brand who, you know, has one of the largest clouds in the photography space, like yeah. that, that world doesn't Two get cheaper. <laughs> yeah. That world isn't getting less expensive. In some ways it's getting more expensive and more complicated. So, and, and the world is leaning towards consumers expecting it for free. So we might yeah. Yeah. be in this, we might be in this space where we're creating all these incredible tools and we're creating all these incredible cloud-based tools and cloud-based AI. But ultimately at some point when they, they all send it to the cloud, they have to be able to be sustainable. And we see the problem yeah, with a lot yeah. of these companies is they can't ultimately afford to be successful because when they become successful, they need the cloud storage. Suddenly they have to monetize their product in a way that they didn't want to and it disappears yeah. or people don't pay for it or they move on to the next free thing. So although we are creating at a very fast pace, all these new tools and new opportunities, still has to be paid for and there's still a commercial it's risk always, with all hey, of them a guy a guy can fantasize right i mean come on i'm just going to shoot I, your fantasy out there i didn't say it was <laughs> i mean i didn't say it was feasible or plausible i just say what i want right i like saying yeah things. yeah, yeah sorry, was, sorry, sorry, sorry to be the realist <laughs> no i will continue to like science fiction because Absolutely. in the multiverse that's a reality that's occurring somewhere right somewhere somewhere someone has that that capability so i don't know man it's fun stuff you know there, there's so many choices out there for photographers and they change every single day you know the the way that we capture which we're going to talk about a couple of those ways in our picks of the week right so the way that we capture imagery how and how easy it is what the what the norm is when it comes to what a good picture looks like and not to mention all the decisions around um you know, the, the morality and ethics of retouching, you know, I've seen these apps that will just, you know, I mean, I, f I feel like a grandpa, you know, which I am, but I feel like a grandpa saying, 
you know, they have these apps today. You just put a photo in there and it makes you beautiful. Right. And it, they didn't. It's, 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 yeah. There is. I need, to, I need to know that. App. Yes. <laughs> yes. FaceTune. So, FaceTune is one. Face yeah. app is another one. So, you know, those, but, those kinds of apps. Where's it going? Finishing off, finishing off the conversation, let's, I want to ask you when it comes to Lightroom versus yeah. Lightroom, where yeah. you asked me where, where I was at, where are you at when, when someone's asking you and you get asked a lot, you know, what do you recommend? Yeah. What are you recommending and what are you personally using? Okay, good. So, um, the, the answer is it depends on the recommendation thing. That's kind of like, what, what are you, which camera should I buy? Right. Yeah. It depends what's your budget, you know, what are your friends shooting? So, you, you know, borrow their lenses, et cetera. Um, but from a recommendation standpoint, it kind of overlays what my, my overall mindset around this photography stuff is it's fluid. So there's right now, currently my flow, um, for my like happy snaps and all that, because I have this, this ecosystem at home, which is largely Apple based, right? So there's, there's Apple TVs here. There's, you know, we've all got iPhones and tablets and, you know, all the things. So it makes sense for the, the happy snaps and family shares. And this is, this extends beyond the family, you know, from this yeah. family outwards to, to the other nodes of the family. So the sharing bit of that becomes much easier, right? When you're just kind of surrendering to the Apple ecosystem and saying, okay, I'm just going to use you as intended to see if I can get there from here. And it's, it's a frictionless route, right? That they lay out if you use their stuff. So we're trying that right now for the family happy snap sharing stuff. So that's, that's my recommendation on that side is to, you know, give that a shot. The other piece of it though, and the reason I say it's fluid is because there's another node to that. So the photos that don't necessarily need to be, you know, this, you know, a photo of somebody doing something silly in the kitchen doesn't not, does not need to be around for posterity. What does need to be around for posterity is holiday events. And, you know, these kind of more, more gravity events, life events that happen. And those get shared through smug mug and through a series of galleries on smug mug and everything up from there. You know, when I go into like, if I'm doing a photo for, you know, even if it's a friend, a portrait or something, all that. So it's smug mug. What's driving the, the pro stuff is Lightroom classic right now. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at Lightroom, Lightroom, especially considering I just had an interview with Brian Matias, who was very much waving the flag for Lightroom and being all in on that ecosystem. Yep. So I'm looking at that, but right now it's, it's classic that drives that. And then the happy snaps are usually on the phone. So I use a series of apps on the phone for post-processing, Lightroom included, and then exporting out to wherever it needs to go. You know, whether it's the camera roll that then, you know, gets tagged and goes wherever the, the ultimate destinations are. Yeah. So I, I, that's, I knew that's were, the flow. So yeah. I knew you were going to see classic and it's more of, it's a legacy thing, right? It's the, uh, yeah. you've been in there for a long time. It's, um, yeah. You know, works great with SmugMug plugins and, and other publishing tools. So it makes sense. Yep. My my belief is that with the, the introduction of local attached storage to Lightroom, we have taken a bigger step towards, a, a pretty huge step towards both products merging, which I think is the, mm. the ultimate sensible goal for both of them. 
as you get all yeah. those features capable on both platforms, bring the more modern user interface experience from Lightroom to Classic, have it doing some of the cool AI features, that some of the deeper AI features that's in Classic, being able to do them in Lightroom, um, and then have that ultimate choice over where your storage is, whether it's in the cloud or whether it's locally, then suddenly you have one product. Um, and I think I'd be surprised in five years' time if we still have two products, but who ultimately knows? Yeah, yeah I well, think I, I think sooner. I, yeah, 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 I think, yeah, I I think, think sooner, obvious. but I'd be surprised yeah. if, if in five years' time we're still having this conversation. But yeah, I think I think we're yeah. moving pretty fast in that direction of a single product, which will be great. Like it's you know that would be great for everybody to then not have to make a choice, make a compromise. You just then have to educate yourself on where you're putting your images and where, where you're storing them and ultimately where they are, because that's going to be the confusing bit about, where's this one? Is this one on my desktop? Is it on my RAID system? Is it in the cloud? Like that needs to be, yeah. that needs to be the part of the user experience that they really focus on making intuitive and educating people. And not, not just for the user either because you know let's morbidly assume that you know we will all not be around at some point but our images may very well may well be around you know much longer than we are so how do you ensure that they are properly distributed accessible and you know all the things so that your successors can carry them forward as you know presumably you want them to be you know you don't want all your work to disappear when you disappear. You want, you know, you yeah. know, someone to take care of it and pay it forward. So how do you take care of that and making plans for that? You know, whether yeah. it's something as simple as a list of passwords to get into your 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 smug mug accounts or or wherever, something like that, or being more cognizant of that contingency, I guess, is the is what I'm trying to say. All these rolls me, in together. You're gonna to leave me your Lightroom passwords and your will. Is that what you're ABC one two three. Are we discussing last will and testimony? <laughs> yeah, password is password. Totally, yeah. totally. Yeah, man, this is good. I love this. You know, this. I know we're gonna we're gonna move on to picks. What are we at? Oh yeah, like forty minutes. Uh, we're gonna move on to picks of the week. But um, you know, I just want to take a second to draw a circle, as we say, or in Silicon Valley, I want I want to take a second to double click on the fact that that. I love this this kind of back and forth discussion format, this host, co-host, co-host, co-host thing. You know, I love the the kind of meandering feeling of that kind of conversation versus the, you know, not in replacement of, but in addition to the strict one-on-one -on -one interviews that, that Twip has been for a while. Yeah, so, where, cool. where potentially, yeah. yeah, potentially someone has an agenda or, the, you know, is there to represent uh you know of course i represent a brand but on this this show you know trying to be agnostic but um it slips through sometimes yeah 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 <laughs> died in the wool do they say you <laughs> died in the wool um cool all right let's move on to our picks of the week so the picks of the week to remind the folks um is a segment that i'm bringing back from twip of olden days where the the hosts and the co-hosts would pick a piece of software, hardware, educational material, or even a tip that, you know, that they wanted to recommend to the TWIP audience that week. So we called it the pick of the week segment. Alistair Jolly, what is your pick of the week? 
Oh, I got hardware this week, which is fun. It's always fun when it's a piece of hardware. Uh, did I mention I was on a road trip? <laughs> you did? So, yeah, a short one. It was a short, yeah. easy one. Gas-powered cars or something. Being, being on this, you know, the Mobilizing for Monuments road trip where we created a whole bunch of content, as I said earlier. And I decided on this trip to predominantly shoot on iPhone. So I had the, the new iPhone with me, but I took myself a little stabilizer. So this is DJI's OM6, Osmo Mobile 6. Um, and I've had a few of these over the years, but this was the first one I bought that was foldable. So um, a stabilizer that literally can fit in my pocket. And that was one of the big selling features. As I mentioned earlier, everything has a compromise. There are compromises to the fact that it can fold, but being able to uh, capture footage on the new iPhone 15, which is just ridiculous, the video content that can come from that. The iPhone has great stabilization built into it. Like if you take video on that, you'll be super impressed in, in how stable it is. But having a, a gimbal still adds that little extra dimension to the cinematography feel of some of the stuff that we were doing. So yeah, this little, this little gimbal got a ton of use in the desert. Uh, folds out real quick. Um, and then your phone attaches magnetically to the, to the gimbal. Uh, and as soon as you attach it, it opens the app. You can shoot with the native uh, iPhone app. You can shoot with most neat apps and just use the gimbal uh, to stabilize it. Uh, Filmic Pro, native app, um, Blackmagic's new uh, app as well, which is really great. Uh, but if you use the DJI app, then it brings a whole bunch of features and a whole bunch of uh, tracking modes and follow you modes and all that type of stuff. It was really, really fun. It was great to use. Also comes a little tripod attachment at the bottom so you can do um, tracking motions with it when you have it sit down you can do time lapse loads of built-in little features so when you're on a road trip like that where you're trying to create video content you're trying to create um, social content you're trying to create uh, video and stills and then throw in the ability to do time lapse motion time lapse uh, it's a really useful piece of kit combined with the the DJI app uh, has a built-in selfie stick so you can extend it um, which, which is handy. You can, you know, do some of those really cool, uh, panning shots with it over the edge of a canyon. It almost looks like you're flying a drone over there, but you're doing it with the, the longer kind of selfie stick feel. Um, cause it's folding, there is a little bit of limitation in its movement when you want to do some, some nice big pan shots up the way. Um, you can work around that, use some different techniques, but yeah, great little piece of kit traveled. Uh, did a whole bunch of social sort of vlogging with it as I traveled uh, to and during and after the, the road trip. Captured, you know, great video content with the combination with the iPhone. Did that both horizontally and vertically pretty easily with one button. So, you know, you're nice. shooting, shooting for video content, you've got it horizontal. As soon as you want to do a social uh, piece of content, you hit one button and it flips uh, vertically. And yes, I'm now doing vertical video, but only for social. <laughs> so yeah, go check it out. Another great little piece of kit from DJI. Um, big selling feature for me as well as all the, you know, bells and whistles it has was the compact nature of it. Really, really enjoyed being able to have it in my pocket wherever I went. 
I love it. I love yeah, it. Very cool. Good. Yeah, those things are invaluable. You know, and I, we've talked about this on, or I've talked about it with guests on this weekend photo before, but the the increasing no-brainerness of using the phone <laughs> right. yeah. for photography, you know, just because of all the things. It's a full-on computer and the optics and the computational photography driving those optics in that phone are you know, science fiction in, in terms yeah. of quality, especially when you contrast it to, you know, what we had just, what, 10 years ago. It's it's insane what those things can do. I mean, you add something like that gimbal on it mm. and, you know, get some good audio, you're done. I mean, go ahead, yeah. go forth and create a oh, movie. And, and we were shooting on the iPhone 15 in 4K ProRes log, mm. which, you know, it's the first time we've done that on a trip on a, on any of our films, so they'll be in, you know we're starting to edit some of that now uh, to see just how it looks and how how usable it is with you know with the rest of the the oh, cameras yeah, that we used. Yeah. But yeah, it was a good it was a great opportunity to to try out some of these new features of the 15 and the new iOS. Um, but yeah, I'm curious. The gimbal was a no brainer. Yeah, were, were you when you when you were shooting with that with the phone? Were you shooting to external storage or internal? Uh, yeah, when you're shooting ProRes log 4K, that's it's big files. Like that is yeah beefy, yeah. beefy big files. So uh, yeah, we had a small little uh, SD, which is pretty cool because because of the thread on the bottom, I can screw. Uh, I don't have it to hand, but I can screw in a little um, little clamp that then I can attach the external SD SSD drive to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. And then attach that to the to the camera. The one little tip I would give anybody who tries that is when you obviously you have the camera on a gimbal, so the camera is attached to you to the gimbal. The gimbal motors are doing its thing. The weight of a USB cable can obviously impact the gimbal. Um, but more more than the weight, the the flexibility of that USB cable. If you have a a USB cable that's pretty stiff and you know rubbery, then mm -hmm. it's going to affect the the movement of the gimbals. The the fairly soft braided ones that come with uh, a lot of the iPhones now it worked really well. Uh, you just have to be cautious to give it enough slack and enough room to move that it's not going to interfere with the gimbal movement. Um, but yeah, it's a, those those files are pretty big. Um, yeah, when you're shooting ProRes log, so yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, I'm curious to see what that's going to look like because those are, you know, Apple famously revealed that they shot their uh, the the latest MacBook Pro announcement on that's iPhone right. 15. The Halloween special you know, one. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. And that was that was surprising. Uh -huh. Yeah. The the negative side of that was. Oh, they had the full, you know, they had the full cinema the rig. Yeah, they had the full team there. Yeah. They had riggers. They had lights. They they were they were on a major film set. It just so happened to be yeah. that it was the, the whole, camera the was an iPhone. Suit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good good lighting. Yeah, that's all. That's all you need, right? That's it. That's it. Yeah, absolutely. All the other stuff is just pushing production quality, but the image is coming from that same little thing that you have in your back pocket. So yeah, you know, it's crazy. What a time I to love be alive. Science fiction. Science yeah. fiction. So, my, so Frederick, my, yeah, what about you? What is your pick of the week, sir? My, my pick of the week is, okay, I'm going to try a little magic here. Let's see if I, wait for it. 
are these? Well, you got, your, you got yourself some sunglasses? What's the big? I don't I get, get it. What's the big deal? Look at that. All right, all right. Yeah, of course we're playing. These are the these are the Meta Ray Ban smart glasses, and I got them for my birthday actually. So, and I I never went. So here's the, here's the thing. I had those Amazon glasses years ago that they're Alexa capable and all the things mm-hmm. can speak to them and do all that. Never wore the things. They were ugly. The battery didn't last that long. And it was just, it was a, it was a cure in search of a disease is what it was. <laughs> right? so, so, so these come along. I see these, you know, I saw the reviews popping through my YouTube feed and I was like, oh, yeah, more of the same. I'm not going to use those either. But then I got them for my birthday. Right. And I tried them and I'm using them. So these were surprising are and are surprisingly useful, but not so useful in one critical way that I'll, I'll tell you at the end of this. So useful in the respect of just the overall specs and the aesthetics of them. They don't, these are Ray-Ban glasses. They're in the Wayfarer style. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's not like you look like you're walking around with Google Glass on and you yep. can tell that you have a computer on your head and they're sunglasses, right? There is no readout on the lenses at all. These aren't augmented reality or anything. These are regular old lenses that you can replace for a prescription if you want and do all the things. All the magic of these glasses are in the fact that there are five microphones on the glasses for beam forming and making sure that when you're doing phone calls, you have a clear voice to the other side. There are two slit speakers above my ears here that fire sounds down into my ear that sound surprisingly good, right? And they're surprisingly isolation or isolating from the people around you. So if I have it at full volume and someone's standing right next to me, they can make out the lyrics of the sound. But if I turn it down to a normal um, sort of volume and the people are a normal six feet away from me, you can't even hear it at all. It just sounds like you're, if you're listening to a podcast, you can totally listen to a podcast and carry on about your day with these glasses on. So that was the first thing that was really cool. Just those overall specs of the a, the audio. But the video is one camera. It's a 1080 camera. I believe it's 1080, maybe 4K. I believe it's, maybe it's 4K. I'm going to say 4K and then be proven wrong. Um, but it's, it's a, in a vertical orientation permanently. So it does not shoot horizontal video. It always shoots vertical video. And you trigger it by, there's a little shutter button right at the top on the temple here. You press it once to take a photo and press and hold it and wait for the audio kind of beep. And that'll let you know it's recording as will a light in kind of on the inside in your line of sight will let you know you're recording. And there's a light on the outside that lets other people know that you're recording, but it's not a red light. It's just the white light, which a lot of people won't know what that means. If it was red, it would probably be more obvious that you're recording, but it's white. So I don't know how I feel about that. So, so that's that bit. So now you can, you can record your day and kind of send it to the app where then you can share it out through social media, et cetera, whether it be a photo or video. And then um, the, oh, and the volume. So of course these are speakers, so you can connect and play your YouTube or your you know, Spotify, Apple Music or whatever, and listen to that throughout the day. On the temple here, this is a touchpad, so you can swipe forward. It's a traditional kind of AirPod feel where two times forward skips to the next song or once forward skips to the next song, three times backwards goes all the way to the previous song. You know, tap once to play and pause. All that is kind of in the temple here. A stroke 
um, is the volume. So you can control the volume on and off that way, or tapping once in a call will mute, uh, mute your microphone. So all that, all that's pretty cool. The killer piece of this though, for me so far, aside from all the video stuff that I've been using, um, a lot, surprisingly has been the fact that this has Meta's, uh, Llama 4, I forget what, what mm -hmm. model it is, but it's, it's basically a chat GPT, their large language model, mm -hmm. um, embedded in the head or in the, in the glasses. So with a key phrase, you just say, Hey, M-E-T-A speak, you know, speak the word. It will activate like Siri and you can speak to it and basically give it a verbal prompt and it will speak the results of that prompt into your ear. I can't, I can't emphasize how interesting it is to have glasses like this on that are really not obtrusive at all, but then it feels like you're a superhuman with a photographic memory because I can remember and whatever I see, I can remember it, right? And I have access to the sum total of almost all of mankind at my beck and call, right? It's like superpowers. Ask it any question, it will tell you. You uh, think you're discreetly, you, no you less, think you're, right? you're, um, you know, Tony Stark with what was it, Jarvis in your ear, right? That's totally what it feels like. In fact, <laughs> I'm going to start recording now. Look at this. Okay. So this is meta, right? So I am, I'm recording the me recording the screen, talking about the device that I'm recording the screen about. And then I'll overlay this in the actual video. So just so you can see the quality and you can get a look at what my, you know, my little setup looks like over here. Crossing so yeah, the they're, they're pretty cool. Yeah, they're pretty cool. So they come in two sizes. This is the regular size um, and or standard. I, I forget how they name it. And then there's a large or extra large size, which are bigger for larger heads, I guess. Yeah. And then glasses come in sunglasses, which is the one I'm wearing. Um, you get them in transitions. So, mm -hmm. you know, uh, clear on the inside and you go in the sun, they get darker, or you can get your own prescription lenses built for these. The glasses themselves, we picked these up at Best Buy for like $349. So likely they'll be cheaper, you know, around the holidays. And the, I called in to see what would, it would cost to put my prescription in the glasses. And it was another 300 bucks or so. Hmm. So if you want these, which is still 600 and change, let's call it $700. That's still under like a good pair of, you know, designer prescription glasses, right? So they're all in that kind of around the thousand dollar range. So, you know, but with a supercomputer on your head and a photographic memory and all that. So, you know, so if you dig the style, I guess that would be the one thing. Cause they only come, they come in two styles, actually this Wayfarer style and a more rounded, mm-hmm you know, I kind of, you know, I don't, I don't want to say it's, it's not feminine and, you know, if, if that's a thing, I think it's, they're more just like rounded glasses. If you have a more round face, those would probably fit your face yeah. better. I'm thinking, I don't know. More style. These fit my face. Yeah. Yeah. They're just, you're just a different style. Um, but so what yeah, these, yeah, I'd say give them a shot. What these truly are folks is the, this is the answer to what do you buy the man who has everything for his birthday? That's what the, That's it. Totally. Totally. That's it. Yeah. You 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 hit it actually right on the head. Because yeah. I was not expecting this at at all. And and if I was, like if I was listening after these glasses, 
You know, even, you know, even the top tech reviewers were lusting or were gushing over these, right? So, but for some reason, I just, they were not on my radar to lust after. Uh, but had they been on my radar, I probably would have just bought them. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Adam, so as we get to that holiday, a holiday part of the year when people are asking you, what would you want for the holidays? What do you want for Christmas? Whatever. It's difficult when we're the type of people who, when we see something we want, we're like, yeah, I'm just going to go buy that. And we have all the tech we want. Yeah. Not easy, but there you go. Yeah. That's what happens. That's what happens when your job is your, uh, you know, you, you do what you love and love what you do. You know? So what's, so what remind us, what's, what's the official name of the glasses? Ray-Ban Metas? What's mm -hmm. the... Yeah, exactly. So either the Meta Ray-Ban glasses or, or the Ray-Ban Meta glasses. I think it probably depends on which company you ask. Um, right. but those two, those two keywords will, will get you into the right place. Or just go to, go to one of their websites. You'll find them. They're on Amazon. They're everywhere. So you can, you can get them. We yeah. all use people so, who like I to like get them. version one early adopters. Go now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, these are, these are kind of my style of glass anyway. Right. So these are, these are my, up here in my regular everyday glasses. Right. So they're. You know, kind of thick, thick black frames, you know, yep. with lenses in there. So, Suits and you, now sir. my glasses just started playing audio for some reason. Someone talking in his ear and it's not me. <laughs> it's just it's so weird. It's so weird. You know, it's like a soundtrack just started playing in my ear. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, oh, one last thing about these glasses. So they come with a case, a leather a Ray-Ban case which is in the car, so I can't show it to you. But it's just, if you've seen a Ray-Ban case, it looks like that with the addition of a, a red or a, a light on the front of the flap that indicates the level of charge on the glasses because the case is also double as a battery to recharge them. And you yeah. get three hours roughly per full charge on it and you can recharge it, I think they say about five or six times with the case. So that was something I should ask is how you charge them because yet another thing in your life that needs charged. No, your glasses. Your glasses now. <laughs> glasses, your watch, you know, your tablet, your phones, your you know, computer, everything, oh. your car. Yeah, everything. There's a whole list of stuff. Yeah, really. Yeah. Yeah, oh. that's it. All right, my Fantastic. friend. Let's wrap this one up. Any, yep. any final words you want to throw at the, at the TWIP audience before we shut this one down? No, thank you as always for listening, TWIP audience. It's uh, so much fun to be able to do this and have uh, a nice chat with Frederick when I'm available to it. Uh, but hopefully for the next few weeks I'm around, not on any road trips. So we'll, we'll see you back here very soon for me. Very cool. All right. Same, well, you know, similar sentiment from me. And I would, I would challenge folks to go out and... Um, well, actually stay in considering the, the topic of this episode. And if you haven't played with and compared the different versions of Lightroom lately, I would dive in and play with them and go watch a couple of YouTube videos on what they, the changes that they've made to Lightroom versus Lightroom Classic and see if that line hasn't moved yet, you know, for you to move from Classic to, uh, to regular Lightroom or back in the other direction. So yeah, challenge you to, to check it out and let us know what you think. All right, Alistair, have a Thank good you. one, and I will see you around the, the virtual halls of Smuglug. This is Twitter.